I love that with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Nebuchadnezzar. Can your God save you from this fire furnace? Yes, he can. Is he going to? Don't know. But either way, we are victorious. So this is a, this is a difficult point that every Christian has to go through many different times and many different ways. I mean, do you guys feel like you're going through a desert? Man, I feel like we're on a desert of a different planet these days. <laughs> That's why this says in Mark 16, go into all the world and preach to all creatures. I used to go, why did God say that? That's just bizarre. Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature? I, I, you know, of course, Prince Francis of Assisi, that he would witness the birds. You know, he witnessed the squirrels. He would go into the forest and, and put crumbs out and get the squirrels around and preach the gospel and beg them to, to repent and receive the Lord because, he, you know, he, it was creatures. But today, we know what it means. Turn the TV on for 10 minutes and you, you I have no idea what it is. I know it's human. I know it's got a soul, but I don't know outside of that what that creature is. But yet, we're all in a desert we're all in a, a pilgrimage, a hard thing. Verse 23 and 24. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called, at a later date, Marah. So I'm using it like that was the name of it at the time. Welcome to the springs of Marah. But that was something we named it years later when we were telling this story. And the people complained, I like the old King James, says murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? So the real question is, was it named Mara because of the waters or because of the people's response to the waters? It's really probably both, isn't it? <laughs> But the, the, the water, the water Mara was quickly fixed. When they leave, it's going to be fixed. There's not going to be bitter waters. But yet that situation, that location was a place that was really a bitter place to be. And the waters were something that were bitter only for a very short time. But yet their reaction to that bitter situation is really the bad taste you have in your mouth, right? That's the real significant thing. And, and it, again, this is hard. You know what's it say in the Proverbs that a, uh, a heart deferred or a hope deferred makes the heart sick? I mean, you're out in the desert, three days, the water's gone for the, some people and others haven't drank for a day or two and and, ah, there's a spring. Look at the trees. Oh, yeah, I, I remember this. And they're running towards it. I mean, I don't know who the first guy there was. Or maybe it was like 50 people that once got there at first. And, ah, you know, but they quickly realized it, it was salty. Something had poisoned it or, or made it where it, it, it uh, was not drinkable. And uh, the, the idea is, is that it was brackish. And, and so they went with high hopes. I mean, I could not imagine being in the desert. You haven't drank for two or three days. Oh, you get some water, you splash it in your face, put your hands together, and 
da, 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 disappointment. That's serious disappointment. I mean, we've all been hot, right? We've all been really, really hot. And somebody gives you a lukewarm thing of water and you're like, ah, do I even want it, you know? But when somebody, when you're really, really hot and somebody gives you an ice cold water or Gatorade, have you ever done that where you're just going to, you plan on just taking a, a, a swallow and then you down it? You can't stop yourself. You just down it in one go. I, I, I mean, I can really get how deeply disappointing of a moment this would have been. Um, and so it went right to the soul in a very, very bitter way. I, I won't read you Spurgeon's quote, but he, he does, he makes some pretty interesting points on this. He's, he's like, man, if you look at water, water was a problem for them when they first left Egypt until God parted the waters. Uh, and then the Egyptians got way too much water. <laughs> and then here we turn around and we need water again, even though we just got saved from water. And he said, it's just like the world and its system. I need more money. And then somebody's drowned by having too much money. You know, I want a relationship. And then that relationship becomes their God. And, it, and then it turns bitter and sour. And, and, and it's like, well, I went from being so happy having this, this relationship to, oh, we broke up and I've never been this depressed in my life. They were singing and dancing as free people, no longer as slaves, out of the grip of Egypt. And three days later, they have serious problems, having left Egypt. <laughs> and now there's some water there. And is this the way life is going to be from now on? We get our hopes up. We see some water. And it's... Salty, brackish, unusable water. Is this the way life's going to be? I, I'll just tell you, yeah, it, it really is. Our hope is not, didn't God just keep reminding us of that every once in a while? This is not your heaven. I mean, us in America, especially you guys living here in Rossmore, <laughs> it probably seems like a little piece of heaven. But boy, the Bible, or the circumstances of life wake us up, huh? And, and, you, and you realize this place is not heaven. And even if they quenched their thirst and this water was good, would it have been enough? Would it have been the, the real answer of what they need? But what happened when they hit this bitter situation? Bitterness came out of their mouths. They are mad at Moses, thus really mad at God. They're, they're, they're questioning why they ever left Egypt to begin with. They're questioning whether they should go back to Egypt. We're going to see this repeatedly in the next few chapters. Just, just a side note. Miracles do not create faith, and miracles do not help strengthen faith. 
Remember the children of Israel. They just saw basically a year's worth of crazy miracles. They just went through the Red Sea, a huge miracle, three days earlier. And now here they are with no faith. Remember what Jesus said about miracles, signs and wonders? He said, it's an adulterous and wicked generation that seek after him. It's, it's not a sign that, how many times have people, you show me God, I'll believe in him. Show me a miracle, I'll believe in him. And it's like, it, that wouldn't work. It wouldn't help. I mean, the people that Jesus healed from leprosy, their brothers and sisters were right there saying, crucify him, crucify him. I mean, the people Jesus fed, the multitudes, and the next day he wouldn't feed them. They were all mad at him again. And they all left. And so it's interesting that Jesus kept coming back. There is one sign that I'll let you put faith in. And each time it's the same thing. He says, it's a wicked and, gener- wicked and perverted generation that seek after a sign. But here's one sign I'll give you. Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. So will the Son of Man be. And, and, and John, uh, after he fed them and then wasn't going to feed them again, they were like, what sign do you show us? He goes, there's only one sign that I'll show you. And again, he says, destroy this, or in John 2, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Again, resurrection. And then when Thomas said, well, I, unless I see him, I will not believe in him. Remember that in John 20? And he's like, here, put your hand in my side, put your finger in my hands. And Thomas said, oh, my Lord and my God. And what did Jesus say? Blessed are you because you see and believe. He did believe in the death and the resurrection. So, hey, that's the one sign you can, you can have faith in. But more blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. And, uh, and so, again, I, I, I've seen probably the least amount of faith amongst the health and wealth gospel Christians that I've been around because one supernatural thing gives them faith for a very short time, and then they're off needing another miracle to cause them to believe once again. But anyway, I, I think that the point of this story is prepare yourself. You're going to be in a desert. So understand you're in a desert. We are in a desert. So let's quit acting that we're mad about being in a desert. We're in a spiritual desert, that is. And secondly, trials are going to be constant. This is, there's not just one trial. This is not like, oh yeah, one trial outside of this, there's no more trials. Don't worry about it. You, you didn't do too well, but there's no more of them, so don't worry about it. This is the standard. Trials indeed are the standard. And so prepare yourself for that. And so when we hit trials, the pot is kettling, the fire is going, the lid is rumbling as it does in all of us, we get a chance to see what's inside. Right? The good man out of the good treasure brings forth that which is good. The evil man out of the evil, evil treasure brings forth evil. And then Jesus says, for out of the mouth, a person can't stop speaking from the abundance of their hearts. And so David said in the Psalm 139, Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lord, I, let the trials come. I want it to percolate. <laughs> I want it to boil. I need to know, and I need you to cleanse me. Take that wicked stuff away. And so, just so you know, God, God knows it's hard to walk by faith. 
It is hard. I, Chuck, I hear Chuck Smith say several, several times, I hate walking by faith. The one reason I want to get to heaven more than anything is I don't have to walk by faith anymore. It's painful and it's hard and it doesn't ever get easier because God just keeps upping it, right? <laughs> and uh, he had some amazing stories that you never heard in a sermon, I'll have to tell you sometime, but they're God really did try his faith. But as a father pities a child, so the Lord pities us. He remembers our frame. He remembers we're just dust. But the key thing is here is that we must come to have faith in his love above all things. Uh, that Psalm 149 says, The Lord takes pleasure in his people. Zephaniah 3.17, we know that one, right? The Lord our God in the midst of us is mighty. He'll save us. He rejoices over us with gladness. He quiets us in his love. He rejoices over us with singing. So we, we need to keep coming back that the Lord loves us. He's not, we're not in this bitter situation because he hates us, because he's mad at you because you sinned. You guys remember the story in the book of Ruth, right? The four little chapters. The family disobeys God. They're going through a famine. God's spanking them. And they say, I'm not going to live here anymore. And they go next door and live in Moab. And of course, God's spanking Moab too. And so Naomi loses her husband. She loses her two boys. And she's left with these two daughter-in-laws. And, and she says, you guys go back home. I can't I got to go back to Israel and, and try to work something out. And, and of course, Ruth, her daughter-in-law, would not go, right? Now, Ruth's life had been really hard because when they had the two boys, she named them uh, Melon and Chilion. Melion means sickness or sickly, and Chilion means wasting away. So it's like right away. Her husband named him like sickly. Oh, well, maybe the next kid will be better. Oh, this one's even worse. He's wasting away. And they, they, they got married. They, they lived long enough to marry and they both died. And now Naomi's going back in the promised land and her relatives say, it's Naomi. And what does she say? Do not call, call me Naomi, the blessed one. But call me, you guys remember? Mara. The same word here. Call me bitterness. And then she says this, for the Lord has caused me, or the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. The Lord wasn't dealing bitterly with her. Now she may be reaping what she sowed, her, her family. But either way, as with the story goes on, the Lord revealed he really loves Naomi. He really loves Ruth. That, 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 that their bitterness had nothing to do with the connection of God's displeasure or God punishing them or God not liking them. It had nothing to do with that. In the same way, when God brings bitter things our way, don't be foolish and question. Out of all the things you may struggle with your faith, don't question God's love for you. Well, in verse 25, so he, Moses now, cried out to the Lord. It's the thing we see. They cry out to Moses. Moses cries out to the Lord. <laughs> and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, 
the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he, God, tested them. So quickly, their disappointment, (laughs) they realized was all a part of God's divine appointment. Do you think God allowed those waters to be bitter on purpose? Do you think the Lord led them to those bitter waters knowing they were bitter? I mean, yes to all all of that, right? But did the Lord also have a plan to change those bitter waters? Not to not be bitter anymore. You, You notice that? The Bible doesn't say, and the waters were fine after that. And the waters weren't bitter. It doesn't say that, does it? The waters became sweet. They became far better than they had ever been and ever would be. Remember when Jesus changed the water into wine? It's like, this is the good stuff. This is what the Lord does. And of course, you you can't help but see the parallel here. The bitter situation that Jesus was in, the bitter situation that our sins brought to him. Here's man, if you would, these waters. And what did we do with these waters? (laughs) Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and all the way down through history, we made God making us his in his image. That's pretty great, isn't it? But being in God's image became bitter. But when you cast in the tree of Christ, now we're born again. Something happened in us far greater than being created in God's image. We're made in God's image for sure. But now the bitterness has become sweet because now his spirit lives in us. We are born again. We are as Jesus in righteousness. We are as Jesus to the Father, we are also his son. He didn't just erase the sin. Okay, now we're going back to the way things were with Adam and Eve. No, 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 no. Things are far superior. (laughs) He now lives in us. We're now born again. We became a new creature. In 1 Peter 2, verse 24 and 25, you have that in your notes who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were, what? Healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you return to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become the curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. You see, Jesus came to a bitter situation greater than anybody will ever be in. He came into human flesh. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is Emmanuel, God, with us. He taught us the perfect truth. He showed us how to live a holy, righteous life. He healed and touched and blessed. And then 
the multitudes of people that he cared for for three years said, crucify him. Truly, the only truly innocent man who's ever walked the face of this earth. Truly, the only guy who has never sinned. And not only did he have to just pay for one guy's sin. I mean, we hear all the time where the guy been in prison for 30 years for murder and now the DNA has exonerated him and he wasn't that, but he paid for another guy's imprisonment for 30 years and now he's out. We hear that all the time and it's horrible. It's, I mean, it's beyond horrible. But Jesus didn't just get tortured and killed horribly on a cross for one man's sin, one man's crime, but for all of men. So there he is now on the cross, pierced in pain, suffocating. It's boiling. There, you've healed others, heal yourself. <laughs> You're a miracle to bring yourself off the cross. If you're really God's son, and it's boiling, and it's boiling. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Jesus boiled right to the top. And what came out was kindness and love and bitterness. So if Jesus' bitter waters not only brought victory through what the abundance that came out of his mouth and his heart, but by his stripes we are healed. Oh, sickness. Oh, yeah, if you're, you know, is it really? I mean, is that really the, the uh, by your stripes healed, singular? He didn't say by my stripes, there's all kinds of various healings. He's talking about one thing. And it's really that root of sin, which is bitterness. <laughs> when you're in AA and you're going through the steps, the thing that you learn very quickly the reason people relapse, bitterness. That's the thing you got to watch for. Because that is the thing that'll get you there. But Christ, he threw in the tree, so to speak. <laughs> and, and the Bible makes it clear, even though he was hanging on a Roman cross, the way God looked at it from his literature, the way he wanted to explain it from his linguistic view was it was a tree. So when you're talking about the cross, God says he hung on a tree. And when you look through the Bible about the tree, you see that somebody hanging on a tree is somebody that was evil, extra evil, wicked. They're hanging there on the tree because it's, it's, a, it's the, the fact that life and man and situation has brought them through, through hanging on that tree, it's to shout to the world, this is a, the most evilest type of person amongst us. And so Christ hanging on the tree. But did Jesus get bitter? <laughs> Quite the opposite. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 this time, who, when he was reviled, what? did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. When he committed himself to him who judges righteously, he committed it to the Father 
who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. You see faith coming to these waters go, God, it's okay. Been three days, we're sort of at the limit of making it in the Saudi Arabian desert here without water. But you know, if you brought us out of slavery into Egypt to die three days later, praise your name. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be in the name of the Lord. What did Job say in Job 11? Though he slay me, what? Yet will I trust in him. So thank you. Thank you for these bitter waters. We can't drink them. They can't help us. But if you don't have another way, it's okay. I have complete faith. Boy, I'm not going to read the whole thing tonight, but Isaiah 53, you go back and look at that. Jesus' whole life was to be make him bitter. His whole life, men looked down on him. Chapter Isaiah 53, 2 says he was ugly. <laughs> People don't know that, but he had no beauty that anybody should desire him. And then, it's, and then it talks about how his body was beaten, that his face no longer had a human form. His whole life, he was despised and rejected by men. You know what being despised and rejected by men can cause you to be? <laughs> Bitter. A man of sorrows, acquainted with griefs, just constant, a lot of death around him, a lot of hardship, a lot of poverty, a, a very difficult place he lived in in Nazareth. We hid our faces from him. He was despised. He was not esteemed. It even says that he looked as if God had smitten him and afflicted him. God's against you, Jesus. There's just no way anybody can have this kind of hardship and not have made the, the big guy upstairs upset with you. And then he went through three short years of ministry all of them hard, exhausting. And then he was betrayed by his 12. He was rejected by the multitudes that he had loved and healed and taught. And then he died naked, carrying the sins, yours and mine, all men. But what did the cross do? It didn't make the bitter waters drinkable. But it made the bitter waters what? Sweet. And this is what God's whole plan always is. To not just get the old junk out of us, but to make us pure, a pure gold, right? Well, finishing up here, once again, in verse 25, there he made a statute and an ordinance for them. So this, is, this, this story is, is like setting one of the main pillars in Judaism for us in the knowledge of God forever. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord, he says in verse 26, he said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. Now, I'm not gonna go into this tonight because we'll talk about this continuously. 
But there is the final judgment that God's going to bring upon the world. And then there's a judgment for believers for rewards. But then there's a judgment of Galatians 6, you reap what you sow. This is sort of that. And he'll talk about it later in Deuteronomy 28, right? If you walk in my ways and obey me, then I'll overcome you and bless you in the city and the country and gives that long. But if you don't obey me, then the curses are going to come. And, And a lot of them have to do the same kind of diseases that were on the other nations. And so he, he's, again, giving the law here. We've got, we got to keep that in, in mind, that we're in the law. <laughs> we're literally in the law of God. And in the law of God, it's looking at you, and you've got to do your part. And if you don't do your part, then you're in big trouble. And that's what we learn in the New Testament, is that we needed the law to teach us that we can't make it without a Savior But then he ends in that verse 26 by saying, For I am the Lord who heals you. Yah Rapha, God our healer. Verse 27. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. So guys, they passed by Mara. The only reason they were there at Marah as long as they were is because of their bitterness. (laughs) As soon as the bitterness was addressed and dealt with, then they could go. (laughs) And what, what does God do when we make it past these trials and the junk gets out and, and we learn our lesson and we get our eyes back on the Lord and we know he loves us and we trust in him and we should have never not trusted him to begin with. Look how amazing he is. Do you, do you realize how big of a problem it was and how simple it got fixed? Moses is like, this is an impossible situation. You see that tree by your foot? Yeah. Pick it up. Break it off. Throw it in the water. Okay. Next. It was so big, but yet God is saying it's so easy to fix. If you, for me, everything's hard for us, but what's hard for the Lord? Nothing. But then what does he do quickly? He takes them to the place they've got more than enough. Isn't that the way God does it? Guys, a little bit farther around the corner there. Twelve wells, seventy trees, and they are living in hog heaven. Of course, that's not kosher for a Jew to do, but they're camping. They're camping where there's more than enough. Psalm 84, verse 5 through 7. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. Think David had learned a few things in his lifetime? whose heart is set set on what? Pilgrimage. Blessed is the guy who's in the desert and is okay with being in the desert. Blessed is the guy who doesn't get to put down at at home, you know, with his lazy boy recliner and everything just the way he likes it, but he's got to keep picking up and putting everything on his back and taking another hike. Blessed is the man who gets used to not being comfortable here. I mean, isn't that true? We're all pilgrims and strangers in this land and we should look like it and feel like it and act like it. We're all passing through. Blessed is the man who, who, 
I'm just following the Lord, trusting in him day by day. Then listen to what he says in verse six. As they passed through the valley of what? Baca. In the Hebrew, that's weeping. But I'd say for our story, we could say bitterness. He goes through a very bitter valley. They make it into a spring. How do they make it into their spring? Their tears. They come to the valley of Baca and they cry out to God and, and they look to the Lord and the, the hardship and the trials and the sorrow of this world, we weep it out and we make a spring. And so the next guy coming along through that valley, he has a spring from your tears to refresh himself is the idea. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Every, each one appears before God in Zion. You guys ready to appear before God in Zion? Woohoo! Jerusalem trip. 2 Corinthians now, chapter 1. Listen to what Paul says about his. Pushed above measure, beyond strength, despairing of life itself. Blessed, he says in verse 3 here, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us with all our tri in tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation which is effective enduring the same suffering which we also suffered. Or if, it is, if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you'll be partakers of the consolation. Does it sound like Paul has been through the Valley of Baca <laughs> and he made a spring there? And from that spring, he's able to refresh others. Well, they camped there and they had more than they needed. Have you noticed that through the Bible? David in the Psalm 23, I go through the valley of the shadow of death. What's it say in the next verse? My cup overflows. <laughs> May God open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings upon you. What? More than we can receive. Jesus in John 14 said, but the waters that I shall give you, talking to the woman at the well, to him will become to him the fountains of water springing up to everlasting life. In John 7, 38, he who believes in me, Jesus saying, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow what? Rivers of living water. In Revelation 21, 6, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of you the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. And then in Revelation 22, verse 1 and 2. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Do you think there's any people up there right now that were at Mara? <laughs> Going, yeah, I remember you threw the tree in and, and now here we are. 
by the rivers of life. And there are the trees of, around it, the trees of life. Well, as we finish up here today, number one, we don't want to forget all that God has done in the far past, if that's what it takes for you, or in the near past. God's past faithfulness demands our current trust in him. You know, what, you know why right now we should trust in him? Because of what he did at Mara. Well, that was thousands of years ago. To the day, to the Lord, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. That was actually about four days ago. <laughs> Secondly, miracles don't create faith or help our faith grow. Faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing by the word of God. That's how faith grows, God's word, and praying in the Holy Spirit. Number three, it is God's plan is to bring us through deserts and cause us to thirst and hunger to test us. Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 3. For you shall remember the Lord your God as God led you all the way through these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with the manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he may make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord." We don't need more water. We need the water of life that gushes forth into everlasting life, right? And James 1, rejoice in the trials, right? Take joy in them because they're God. They were planned by God. I don't know why I'm in this trial. Oh, God wants you to be in it. Well, how did it happen? He planned it before the foundations of the world. <laughs> he predestined it. First Peter 1 he says, hey, rejoice that God's gifted you by going through these various trials because in God's economy, your faith being rich and many rewards as you appear before Jesus Christ, that your faith is not some shriveled up raisin, but your faith is something lush to the praise, the honor, and the glory of God. The next thing is, don't grumble. It's a big deal. Not grumbling is a big deal. In reality, if you don't grumble, God can really use you. May not be super spiritual, but you don't grumble. You don't murmur. What's it say in Philippians 2, verse 14 and 15? Do all things without what? Complaining, grumbling, and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you will shine as lights in the world. That's, I'm not surprised because when the water turns sweet, the, sweet, the sweetness of not grumbling is greater, right? God didn't turn the waters into waters to drink, but sweetness and when we don't grumble, the Spirit of God can move through us. Remember John seven thirty eight. Look how sweet it is. Out of your heart, Jesus says, will flow rivers of living water. Galatians 5, the very first fruit of the Spirit is what? Joy. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice, Lord, always. And again, I say rejoice. Nehemiah says the joy of the Lord is what? Your strength. I love Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, 
Though the labor of the olive may fall, fell, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. We're in California, guys. This is a real possibility. <laughs> yet, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. For I will joy in the God of my salvation. So he points a pretty bleak situation. No water, no food. There is nothing. We are, we are in a famine land. But even then, when we're dying of starvation and thirst, I will rejoice. Finally, Isaiah 61.10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why? He has clothed me the garments of salvation. Do I get amen there? He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Amen? As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So look at those two, Habakkuk and Isaiah. Same thing, but two sides of the coin. If things were worse than worse, I'm still going to rejoice in the Lord. And on the other side, how can you not be rejoicing in the Lord? He's giving you salvation. He's giving you his righteousness. You are his bride. We're going to be going to the marriage supper of the Lamb very, very soon. So, well, you don't understand how hard things are. You're going to heaven. But you don't know how difficult things are. You are the righteousness of Christ. But you don't understand how sad I am. But you're getting ready to go to a, uh, the wedding feast and you're the bride. What, how, how can we be better? And of course, if you are starting to get better, throw in the tree. Jesus is the one that should have been bitter. Had just Jesus been bitter, we're like, he absolutely was righteous to be bitter, right? He had every reason to be bitter. If anybody had the right to be bitter, it was Jesus. And Jesus had no bitterness. So we need to go back to the tree and say, Lord, I want to deny myself and take up that, what, tree and follow you. I'm bitter. Pick up the tree then and follow Jesus. Amen.